0: If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com.
1: It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writers Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox.
2: Hello and welcome to episode number 54 of the Great Writers Share podcast where every week we hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join us on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick raw and bounce. Today's date is Monday the 21st of September as of recording. And for those who maybe haven't joined in a couple of weeks, who have been a bit oblivious to the last few weeks of what's been going on, um, I am probably going to be the last one within our intros just to remind people that this show has changed slightly. So the interviews are still exactly what they were. We're still getting some fantastic talent on, but the great writers share did expand, and over the last few weeks, we've had uh, my lovely new co hosts introducing some awesome talent. So, we've had John Crinan uh, speak to V Castro, we've had Holly Line speak to Autumn Burt, and Faye Trask speaking to Ritu Batal. And uh, yeah, it's been really, really interesting from my perspective listening to the other guys sort of knock it out of the park. They're doing a fantastic job, um, and yeah, it's it's been an experience because. I've still been very, very active with the podcast. I'm doing all the editing behind the scenes, all the publishing, making sure that the wheels are turning. Um, but it's nice not to have so much, uh, I guess, with time tied up into it, which has been uh, a blessing for me because I've got a lot of stuff going on at the minute. Um, and it's also fantastic just to hear the other guys just speak to the different people and and bring their particular flavours to the interviews, which I otherwise wouldn't have brought. And to 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 uh widen the pool of writers that we get to speak to on this because obviously there are a lot of people in the writing world I want to reach everyone which is impossible um but the the more people we have involved the more wider we can spread beyond what I would otherwise have been able to communicate with and speak to and yeah it's just been a lot of fun particularly watching it from from the outside for a little while um but speaking of what I've been doing uh in in the meantime I'll go into my fiction update And in my fiction update, I have been working hard on When Winter Comes, episode five. Hard to believe we're already on episode five already. Um, And I have been saying for weeks that I'll probably make it a seven to eight book series. But what has happened is the story is now forcing me to a close. So I think there's probably one more good book in it. I don't want to overstretch it and just under, under deliver on the ending because I've built up quite a lot in terms of the story. So I will be finishing the book on episode six, I believe, um, unless anything drastic happens. It will be a bit of a bigger book than the other ones just to make sure that closure is there. Um, but it's exciting to get done. And I've got lots of stuff turning at the minute in terms of looking at turning it into an audio book. I've got another cover. It's currently being commissioned to give it a variant cover for the box set. Um, and yeah, I've just got to work out what the plan is for that going forward because I basically just brought myself or given myself another month in which I plan to do some more stuff. And obviously, if I'm doing just one more book instead of seven, then that that frees me up for like a whole month worth of things I could do. Um, And I'm sure I'll fill that time very, very easily. The other thing I'm working on at the minute is the Other Side Anthology, which is a horror anthology run through my uh, fiction company, Devil's Rock Publishing. And uh, the submissions for that close... When was it? About two... It was the end of August, the submissions closed for that. And finally got through reading the one hundred and seventy-seven submissions, um, alongside a very, very uh, useful helper who's been helping me read some from some of the stories, and uh, I'm now in the position where I've picked my finalists. The book is going ahead, and I'm basically on a speed run to get it all edited and ready to go hopefully by the middle of October I haven't committed to anything in terms of pre-orders or anything because I know that things might come up along the way but that's kind of what I want to go what I want to push for because it'd be good to have something in time for Halloween but I also don't want to compromise the quality of the product so I don't want to rush it too fast and miss something that could be glaringly obvious so the other side anthology that's coming and then in terms of my non-fiction side of things I'm chipping away at my productivity book. Um, To be honest, I'm not massively far into it. I'm doing a lot of percolating on that and research and ensuring that the book is as thorough as I want it to be and it fits. I've, I've got a very, very clear idea of what I want it to be in my head. And I really want to make sure that I hit that and get it to where it needs to be. So I'm trying not to rush it too much. Uh, I've got a task to get another 5K or so of that written this week, which I'm excited for, because I do find, and I've mentioned this before, but I do find that I really enjoy this, the process of writing nonfiction. And the the last update for me is that last week, I no two weeks ago, I did have a photo shoot with a professional photographer, a former colleague of mine who's gone into photography and stuff. And I've recently got the photos back from that and they are fantastic. Um for anyone in the uk around the midlands that wants to check out her work it's at wild violet creative and uh she does branding she does photography it's it's absolutely brilliant but everything that i asked for she delivered For people who want to check out the photos, I've got some of them up on my website at www.danielwilcox.com. There are some on social media and I've got a whole load in the bucket that I've not yet released because I've got a, uh, I'm basically working on a lot of things in the background that will need these photos and I don't really want to sort of um, air them too early, so That's all been going on, which has been a lot of fun. But the reason you're here today isn't for me. It's to listen to our guest, who is Jenny Nash, who is a book coach and the head of bookcoaches.com and Author Accelerator, a service which essentially pairs you with a book coach and helps you reach whatever your definition of success is as a writer. So they're basically, book coaches are basically like a personal trainer for writers. They're there with you in the trenches every step of the way. And uh, we talked to Jenny a lot about what book coaching is, what her definition is and how she got involved in it um, because she she was a middleist published author as well or is. Don't, don't take that away from her. <laughs> we talk about the, the truth behind the author journey and some of the very common uh, misunderstandings that a lot of people might have and also the similarities in the startup world and the business world and how they can translate into your writing career if that's what you want to make this. And we also talk about valuing yourself and uh, keeping your integrity. So making sure that if you decide to go into coaching or anything like that, you get what you're worth, but you're also delivering the service, the quality of service that you should be delivering. Um, So all of that coming up very, very shortly. Before we get into that, I want to give a quick shout out to all of our patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share, where for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to a whole load of extra good stuff, including early ad free uh, releases of each episode. You can go over into our Slack community and get involved in our sprint and accountability channels as well as so much more. And you can also enter our monthly giveaway where every month we give away a random book of choice, which uh, is designed to help authors and This month's book is the wonderful Holly Line, our uh, our co-host, Holly Line's goal setting for authors and she's offering a signed copy for anyone that gets over and gets involved in that competition. So if you want to get your hands on that and all that other good stuff, just go to www.patreon.com forward slash great share. And now without any further ado, we'll dive into the interview with the one and only Miss Jenny Nash. Jenny Nash is a founder and chief creative officer of Author Accelerator, a company on a mission to help writers write books worth reading. Since the company's inception, writers serious about reaching readers have trusted Jenny to coach their projects from inspiration to publication. Her clients have landed the top New York agents, National Book Awards and deals with houses such as Scribner, Simon & Schuster and Hachette. Jenny is the author of nine books in three genres. She taught for 13 years in the UCLA Extension Writers Program, is an instructor at creativelive.com and speaks on podcasts and at writing conferences all over the country. Jenny, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: No worries. I will add a a caveat at the beginning of this interview, just for people listening, that there is currently a thunderstorm going on behind me. So if you hear some rumblings, I'm not hungry, nothing weird (laughs) going on. It's just literally the weather choosing now to be, number one, very hot inside my house and number two, now rainy and miserable outside welcome to England. Um, but we're obviously here to talk about you. And I was saying before we started recording, I've become a very, very big fan of yours very, very, very quickly. I think it's actually, you probably came into my, my bubble of knowledge in the last two weeks or so. Um, and it probably sounds a bit stalkerish, but I've literally been down the route of listening to every single podcast you've been on, listening to all your nuggets of wisdom, I am. I am just I'm there. I'm I'm with you. So I'm very, very excited to have the opportunity to ask you my questions, pick your brain, and hopefully take you in some directions that you haven't quite been before. Um, Which, you know, I know is wow. difficult. You've been in a lot of different podcasts. Um, no, first... I love
1: it. I love it. Thank you. And I actually I appreciate I appreciate the attention. You know, I do the same thing. I I love learning. And I love, you know, so if I follow someone and I'm interested in them, I read all the things. So I get just, it.
2: Yeah, no, I, I go very deep, very quickly on, on things that I, that I enjoy and uh, particularly resonate with. And I thought what might be an interesting place to start is uh, I've seen, so this name isn't particularly a name that pops up a lot within write, writing circles, but um, as someone myself who is uh, an ex-marketer and obviously as part of a writing business, you have to market, that's a big part of it. I've seen you bring up Seth Godin quite a lot. And I just wondered, what is your, what is your uh, connection with Seth Godin and why does he resonate with you so much when it comes to your, your author business?
1: That's a, a question I have never been asked. Um, yes,
2: uh, already. <laughs> <win. laughs> yeah, you
1: you win. Um, and it actually, it's actually, I think, a very interesting answer. So I, one of the things that I have done, and and this is twenty twenty hindsight, I didn't know I was doing it while I was doing it. But the thing I have done is to bring in the learnings and the teachings from the startup world to writers. And so the entrepreneurial startup world, you know, they've, it's like a whole culture. It's a whole thing. It's a whole, there's the fail fast. There's, you know, just all the lingo and there's all the um, the idea of making something, of risking something, of looking for the hole in the market and of empowerment that an individual or a group of individuals can see an opportunity come together and the tools are there to to execute it. And, and that combined with the the digital marketplace that is out there now, like there's so much possibility. And so, one of the things that I have been doing is combining that thinking and that thought process and that development process with the creative process and bringing it to writers. And the thing that I have just found over and over and over again is writers are just woefully unprepared for how to be a writer in the world. Right? They mm-hmm. they know how to write, or they're learning how to write, and that's the thing that they're they're drawn to and they're attracted to and they're good at. But then when it comes to it, and it comes out in really simple questions like I'm scared of social media, or I don't know if I should go on Twitter or Instagram. And that's not really what they're saying. And what they're saying is I don't know how to be in this new fast moving world as a writer. And so that is a path that I've been on for a while is bringing those lessons and learnings and teachings to the writing community. It's, it's where my, entire business is built upon this, that idea. And that the idea that the creative process can be broken down with systems and strategies. So where Seth Godin comes into all that is he's obviously kind of a star in that realm of, you know, he ran a a thing called the Alt MBA, which is an alternative MBA. And he espouses this idea that you don't need to go to school. You just need to learn how to do the thing. And that's, that's what I have done. I've just learned by doing. And, and he also, he's the uh, permission marketing guy. So he coined that term and he sort of taught the world what that means to give somebody permission to be in your inbox, for example. And so I've just, my connection to him is just as a fan. I've just read a lot of his books. I've read his blog for many, many years and still do. Um, I've, I've listened to his talks. I, you know, just all the consumed a lot of his messaging and I really feel that it's what writers need is to think about i mean there's if you want to write because it's fun or it's pleasurable or you want to learn or you want to capture your family story these are all really good things but if you want to get write something that gets in strangers hands and makes an impact and makes money that's a whole other ball game and if you're in that ball game you got to know the rules of it and Seth Godin on marketing is one of the people that can you know teach you those rules
2: and he's so, so translatable and so so easy to digest. And I think that one of the things that you pick out there is writers don't have that, that wider knowledge of, of what it is that they're actually seeking. They're not aware of, obviously, the questions that they, they don't know uh, how to seek the answer to. And I think that particularly even with writers who I've seen that are, that are very much already in the game, they don't look beyond writing to things like business, to things like marketing. And particularly, like you say, the whole startup uh, ecosphere, the whole um, process behind all that is so, so fundamental, not just to the individual businesses, but to, to how to run a business overall. And I think there's so many lessons within that that people are neglecting. And I know that um, another name I've seen you bring up as well is uh, people like Simon Sinek as well, and understanding sort of what you're doing so you can translate that to people and make those real connections. And that's a layer that a lot of people... Do just seem to miss from from what I've seen on my side. I'm sure you probably have on your side as well.
1: Oh, they abs- they absolutely miss it. And so uh, his book, start with why mm. is is um man I wish I'd come up with that title. <laughs> 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 but um the you know the idea that's the first thing I ask any writer I'm working with is why are you doing this? Why are you why do you care? Why are you in this? Why does it matter to you? And in his book, Simon Sinek's book is about corporations and companies and startups that you have to know why why you're doing what you're doing it's no different for a writer and and then uh his newest book the infinite game i love that idea of uh it's not about who makes the most money or who gets on the bestseller list in the case of a writer or you know it's it's about that constant iterative process of refining and um And doing and doing over and doing again. And I find that that's the writing process. That's the revision process. That's the process of um, writing a book and then writing another book. You know, you see so many writers who uh, they get stuck because they think that the book they're writing is the last book they're ever going to write or the only book they're ever going to write, even if they have a million ideas because it's its idea that it's going to live forever because it does, right? It's just, just, there it is. It's on the shelf forever, but you can write another book. You can have another idea. You can evolve, you can grow, you can iterate. And so all these business ideas, I just, I just really, when I say that I, I know I've been doing this in retrospect, I didn't set out to do this. and, And I'm an unlikely person to have done this because I, I came up through the writing side and the publishing side, not through the business side. And I came to all the business things just by temperament and, and pleasure, I guess, and began really seeing that crossover. And um, the book that really did it for me was Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, who was one of the founders of Pixar. I just, I just think every writer should read that book because what they did was they systematized story. That's what they did. and, And it was just mind blowing to me. And when I read that, it was, it was, I just, just, you know, light bulbs were going off everywhere. I thought, that's it. That's, that's it. And, um, so yeah, I just, I think writers need to realize that creating is only part of it. It's only the start and there's so much more and that actually they have the, the talents and skills and mindset to do really well at it. Mm.
2: And I realize that we've jumped straight into some pretty heavy topics, to be honest, for, for people that might be listening to this. And what we haven't yet done is actually uh, given a little bit of background of your journey. So would you mind just giving sort of like a brief overview of obviously, you mentioned a little bit of sort of your, your journey from writer and upwards. Um, are you able to add like a little bit more color to that in a bit of an overview? And then we'll, we'll jump back into the... the, the-
1: yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I was a writer for many, many years. Um, I'm 56. I think that gives some context because I've been at this for a long time. My first job out of college was at Random House, and I worked for a fiction and a nonfiction editor. And I was in the writing world on the magazine side and the publisher side for quite a long time. And then I was in it as a writer. And I became a really solid mid-list writer, which is just as bad as it sounds. (laughs) 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 I was just doing well getting big five book deals making some money but not making a real career of it and and I was feeling a little frantic and desperate because I had this sense like this is all I know how to do I don't know how to do anything else and I don't want to do anything else and in the in the franticness something emerged into my life, which was book coaching. And it, it came from a request of a colleague in the UCLA writing program who asked me to help her because she saw that I was approaching the work with systems and strategies and with a market focus. And in, in a writing program, so many people are focused on teaching craft, which is great. You have to learn craft, but I just, by default, was really focused. I was teaching memoir and I was really focused on, you know, you can't just Write your story and put it in the marketplace. It doesn't work like that. You have to think about who it's for and who's going to care and who's the audience and what's universal in your story and why are you trying to share it and all these questions. And so this colleague asked me to help her not with a memoir, but with a book on writing, actually. And um, I... I did that. I created systems while I was helping her to to do that. And we sort of helped each other figure out what this was. And that writer was Lisa Cron. And that book was Wired for Story. And then her second book was Story Genius. She actually just finished a third. So she was my first client and it was a massive success and it changed her career trajectory. And after that, I got quite a lot of people asking me for help and I kept replicating the success and so I realized I had I had something. And I also realized that I was a better book coach than I was a writer and that it used more of my talents and more of my skills. And that I was just as excited helping another writer as I would have been had I had that success. Mm. So I, I remember I had a colleague and she said, you know, you should be careful about all those people asking you for help because they're gonna suck all your time away. And I remember thinking, That would be kind of great. (laughs) That's what what I want. That's what I want. And and that is, in fact, what happened. So I became a full-time book coach. I launched my own book coaching practice. Um, I uh, now, as a book coach, I'm a multiple six-figure-a-year book coach and have been for the last uh, five years, and I started a company training other book coaches and that's author accelerator. And I have a training and certification program that I believe is the only one in the world. <laughs> I made it up and <laughs> there it is. Um, I'm just giggling cause it's just so funny, but um It's fabulous. We, we have this amazing training program that we honed over the last five years and it's working just beautifully. And we're teaching book coaches how to help writers write their best books and also how to run sustainable businesses, both the writer and the book coach. So I'm kind of bringing all that business stuff into my business. I feel that my business is the business of teaching writers how to, to do good work and book coaches, how to have good businesses.
2: I feel like we'll probably be doing a disservice um, by not explaining a little bit about what a book coach actually is.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, It's a thing that is new. So if people haven't heard about it, that's because it's new and it bubbled up because of the changes in the publishing industry with the advent of self-publishing and hybrid options and all the other options that are available to writers. Now writers are largely in charge of their own teams of whatever they need to do their good work. So they hire the people that they need. And on the publishing side, publishing moves so fast now and they're largely looking for what I call camera ready manuscripts that are just ready to go. And the, so the writer on the traditional publishing side needs to be that ready when they, when they approach the the gates of, uh, <laughs> of getting through the agents to publishing deals. So uh this work used to be done at the publishing houses by editors, This nurturing the support while the writer was working on their book. And really more and more, they just you just have a finished manuscript and that's it. So a book coach is, is just like a personal trainer or a, an athletic coach or an executive business coach. You're in the process with the person over time. That's the big difference between an editor. An editor is going to swoop in when your work is finished and help you make it better. Everybody loves to be edited because it's an amazing process. And but a book coach is there with you the whole way through. So through all the doubts, through all the ups and downs, helping you manage the project, helping you get the work done, meet your your goals. So it's it's accountability, it's editorial feedback, and it's emotional support while you write. Mm.
2: I love that so much. I love that uh, analogy to a personal trainer as well because I think when I when I first came across this kind of service, you reflexively just go, well. Who's going to pay for that kind of attention? but then you look at the amount of people that are spending I'm <laughs> including myself in this because last year I saw a personal trainer for about three months and I made great results. And silly started each week forgetting what I'd done the week before. And I was like, I'm not paying you to forget. Um, but that analogy of actually having someone guiding you, helping you through the bits that you don't know, because that was the reason I went to a personal trainer was I had been to gyms before I knew how to use the equipment, but I didn't understand muscle structure. I didn't understand how to go from zero into what I wanted to get to. Um, I've got previous injuries that, uh, needed attention and needed specific exercises to make sure that I weren't damaged them more. And to look at that and then translate that into the actual writing world, it seems like such a common sense thing. But and I think this is why I got hooked into the stuff that you were talking about, because it just seems like it should be such a commonplace um, thing that people understand. But, it, but it's just not. There's this mysticism about writing that just seems to be lingering.
1: Well, yeah. And I think you touched on exactly why. There's this, there's this um, shame in the writing world around asking for help. Like there's a certain kind of help that's acceptable, right? It's acceptable to take a class at a university for, for a semester. It's acceptable to go to a week-long writing retreat or to go to a writing conference. But the idea that somebody would be in the process with you, what a lot of people fear is that they're going to lose their voice. Somebody's going to take over their story and tell them what to do. I think that fear comes from uh, bad writing groups, <laughs> You know, where yes. there's toxic yes. writing groups where, where people are saying that shouldn't be a, a romance, that should be a mystery or, you know, they're they're not listening to what the writer has or lifting the writer up. It's kind of this groupthink or this, um, I don't know, uh, who has a loudest voice wins kind of thing. And, and so writers, I think, are really taught by this system by which writing is is taught, we're, we're taught that you shouldn't ask for help, you shouldn't let anybody else in the process. And, there, and that touches on that idea of the, you know, what I call like the genius in the attic, like you're supposed to be literally locked up alone and be struck by lightning, which maybe you will actually be right now with our
2: I might be in system. a second. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: But but this idea that, you know, and, and what is that? That's this, this, this myth that Creative work is so mysterious that it just comes from above. It just strikes a person, and they they produce it, and it's an overnight success. And boom, we we lift them up because they've done this magical thing. I mean, that myth is so strong. You know, it's mm-hmm. everything from Mozart to even like the J.K. Rowling myth. You know, she she sat in a coffee shop and came up with this idea, and then voila, there were seven books. And you know what it what it betrays is that. Stinking hard work that that it takes for a writer to create a world and to get it on the page in a way that others can enjoy or be in or um, feel, and it's really hard work. And I think we kind of don't want to acknowledge that in a way. We we kind of want to just pretend that that. And I've been susceptible to this myself so many times with my own writing. You know, where I, I have this thing where I'm like, if I could just if I just have six weeks, I could just knock this book out. I could just, you know, like, and it'd be so great. And then it'll be, it's like huge hit. And then like, I tell, I've told myself that so many times, like for years, you tell yourself that. Mm -hmm. And, and then you realize, oh, five years have gone by and I still only have three chapters that don't work. And, you know, so the idea of asking for help, the idea of paying for help is, kind of antithetical to the way that we think writers work. And the truth is, you know, every successful writing, working writer has collaborators, has partners, has editors, has supporters that they pay, has people that are, are in there. I mean, you look at the acknowledgements of any book there, there are not three people
2: there. The whole There's team.
1: Dozens of yeah. people. And so um, one of the things that I have taken upon myself to do is just educate people about what a book coach is and what we do and why it's worth it. And, and on the other side, really, I mean, I have this conversation probably with the book coaches and training more than any other conversation, which is people will be willing to pay you for what you do if you bring value to the process. And that, that what the coaches and training think that means is we I have to promise a success. So, I have to promise ROI or, you know, return on investment. I have to promise publishing success, reader success, sales success, agents, book deals, the whole thing. And I, I keep saying, no, you don't. I mean, does your trainer, you know, your personal trainer doesn't say, uh, you will only pay me if you lose 15 pounds and, you know, build 10% more muscle. Like you just don't do that. Or you'll only pay me if you end up being able to do 40 pushups. It's, you pay them for the experience of having someone in the process with you and mm. you, you value it for the attention that person brings and it's up to you still to do the hard work. Right.
2: Yeah. You definitely have to own it. Um, I, I want to jump back a little bit to following on this thread a little bit when it came to your own writing, cause like you said, you were, you were a middleist writer, you were doing well by, you know, up and coming writer standards, you're were, you were making a living from it. And then you went into the book coaching side of things how did you reconcile that journey from putting all your eggs into the writing basket into suddenly trying to go, okay, I think book coaching might be the way forward. Cause I can imagine that was quite a, a transformation to go through.
1: It was. And it, I think it was like any transformation. It was, it was slow. At first mm-hmm. I thought of book coaching as, as a side gig and a lot of people come to book coaching for that reason, whether they're writers and they're looking for a more stable income stream, or we have a lot of mothers who are looking for part-time work they can do on their own from their home. Uh, we have a lot of ex-academics actually. Um, you know, so a lot of people think of it as an extra thing or a, a side thing and that's how I thought of it as well. And really it was just the universe hitting me over the head. Cause I was, <laughs> I was really struggling uh, with the, the last novel that I was trying to write and I was doing the thing. It, it was such a failure in so many ways. I was doing a thing that I now counsel everybody not to do. I was, I was rushing it. I was, I had this overinflated sense of my worth as a writer i had i had a, a a misconception about how books were sold and i thought that this was at a time before every writer had a, a website and a blog and a direct connection to readers it was just sort of happening that 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 was coming up and and i had done a lot of bookstore events for my previous books i you know that was what writers used to do you'd go and you'd do readings and events and And I thought I have this mailing list of bookstores like I'm good. I I can sell this book. I'm on my own. And, you know, so I rushed it and I had this just weird sense of how it was going to go and all of those things were, were wrong. So I had this crushing defeat with this, with this novel And, and I call it that because I originally tried to sell it through my agent and, we left, I had a three book deal offer on the table from Penguin that I left behind because the, the, I loved my editor. I loved everything about the publishing house, but just a mid list writer, they were giving me the same amount of money for those three books. So it was locking me up for probably the next four years to, you know, I knew what I would be making from them. And it just seemed ill advised to take (laughs) it. And so my agent and I, at my urging, we're like, let's go out and get a ton more money from somebody else who's going to make me at the top of the list. Like it's time for me to be at the top of the list, you know? So, and I wrote this book with the intention of breaking through. And Mm. I talk a lot about market focus for a writer and it does not mean that. (laughs) mean like i can reverse engineer a big selling book or i can you know oh vampires are hot i'll sell i'll write a vampire <laughs> book. like i don't know what i was thinking but but i i mean it's not a terrible book but i wrote this book and and it went to auction um my my agent took it out asking for big money and it went to auction and we had six really amazing editors at really amazing houses who were going to bid on it and then on the day of the auction, nobody bid, mm-hmm. And you know what that means is that they, the editors couldn't get the financial support at the level we were asking for from the publisher. So it was this big giant flop. And then that's when I said, well, I'll just do it myself and I'll just do it really fast and I don't need them. I can just, you know, I just didn't know what I was doing and that was a giant failure too. And so I tell this long story because that was all happening while this book coaching stuff was falling in my lap and my book coaching clients were killing it and they were getting these fake book deals and selling their books and you know just doing really well and and I kind of was a little bit like well screw that whole thing like that whole writing thing I'm gonna do this other thing and and it was um it was just one of those things of going where it's easy you know like sometimes sometimes a thing you're good at you fight against. And, and it, it was just so clear that I was good at this and that it was, I mean, when I say easy, you know, you know, it wasn't easy, but it was, there was an ease about it that was, I was not feeling in my writing life. And so the switch was sort of um, long, sort of a crossing paths of the up and down path Mm. of writing was sort of on a downward spiral (laughs) and the book coaching was kind of on an upward spiral and um, so that made make choice sort of easy to go to go all in on on the book coaching mm.
2: and i love uh I will make it, well note as well like, i I love how transparent you are and how just like upfront you are with sort of owning the things that have happened in the past and sharing that because I found that particularly listening to the the thousands of podcasts you've been on there's been so many times where you've just been open and honest about all your all your stages of the journey all your pivots and whatnot and I think it's rare to find that kind of transparency in people who have been through that journey and I think that that is what adds to that mysticism of what it is to be a writer because nobody actually shares really openly the journey. And that's the reason that I do this kind of podcast and get writers on to explain their journey. Why dozens of other podcasters do it as well. Um, Cause I think it, it smashes some of that. Um, and one thing that has come from the story just told from the, the, the podcast I've been to before as well. Um, and I'm going to selfishly bring this back to my own journey is it's given me a real sort of mindset switch. And it's something that I spoke about with um, my, my podcast partner, Sasha, in which I, I love writing fiction and I have my fiction and I write that. I also ghostwrite for clients and that's a side of my income. Um, and I found that I've been pushing and pushing and doing lots and lots of the fiction and I love writing my own fiction. Obviously the ghostwriting is an income stream. So it never feels like the right kind of work. But then I've been looking a lot at, uh, I started a publishing company for horror writers a couple of months ago that I'm sort of building solely and sort of looking at bringing on, um, authors and whatnot. And one thing that I found over and over again is every time people are asking me why I started a publishing company, in my head, I'm going, because I love horror and I want to deliver to readers. But what is actually happening, or what I actually say, is because I want to raise writers' voices. So you talking a lot about, um, and we can go into this a little bit if you want as well, Sort of, I know that recently you pivoted from focusing Author Accelerator at writers to looking at book coaches. That resonated with me in terms of my my, my head, because most of the time when I started this podcast... I, for some reasons like this will help my writing, but what I'm actually doing is helping other writers understand journeys and and elevating other writers' platforms. And that's exactly what I'm doing with my publishing company. So now I've had this bit of a mindset switch in which I'm going, okay, maybe maybe a big more chunk of my attention should be on helping writers and focusing and building writers up as well, because I have that kind of platform to help.
1: So um, if we if we go back to where we started this conversation and we look at – the entrepreneurial look at this through an entrepreneurial lens where all the money is made is teaching people how to do things. Hmm. So like, if you think about that on, on a digital in the digital business universe, some of the early superstars were the people that realized, oh, all these businesses need to learn how to do Facebook ads. So, like Amy Porterfield, for example, you know, has a massive business that started by I'm just going to teach people all the people how to do Facebook ads. Or Marie Forleo, who teaches people how to start online businesses. So it's the the people who who teach others. I mean, I could just reel off so many other names that that's actually where the money is made. Because if you're helping other people achieve their dreams and make their income rise and, and um, learn how to do the thing they want to do or giving them the means, it's like the means of production. I guess that's the technical economic term that um, people will pay for that and they will pay to, you know, lift themselves up. And it's a very different game than trying to sell a product that you've made your own self, you know, which is a book and trying to do that. And I would never suggest that somebody stop writing because there's nothing, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, that feeling and that satisfaction. And, and I've been, I've been writing in a completely different way than the the days that I was describing to you. And that's the other thing to realize there's so many different ways to be a writer and to, to be in the writing game. So I would never say don't do that, but the, um, there's something extremely powerful about giving other people the channel to, to do the thing. And particularly if you've got nailed down, which it sounds like you do, um, like why horror and why a publishing company and why only focus on that? And, you know, all like, if you, I'm sure you have answers to that. If you can articulate that and and really live that and be an evangelist for that and why it matters and why it matters to you and why it matters to the people, like it's so empowering. And I love watching, are you familiar with Brooke Warner at She Writes Press?
2: Uh, I'm aware of She Writes Press. Yeah.
1: So Brooke Warner is one of the founders and, and She Writes Press is a hybrid publisher that um, focuses only on women and, and yeah, I've had some, one
2: of the, um, her authors on here before. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, but what's really interesting is just listening to her talk about their mission and talk about being an independent publisher and talk about breaking the traditional publishing mold and talk about making room and making way for women writers. And, you know, it's you listen to her and you're just like, yeah, like it's just great, you know? <laughs> so, um, it sounds like you have that same sort of sort of, um, inspiration or motivation. And, and there is, there is a lot of money to be made, a lot of satisfaction to be had. And, you know, it gets at what I think this is why I'm so interested in the confluence of, of business and writing is because what, what do people really want, um, who are involved in these things? And what we want is to make an impact. And I think, now we're talking during, at least where I am in California, it's still the COVID shutdown. It may be the COVID shutdown for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, even in the, during these times, I think a lot of people have come to the realization, like, we might not have that long
0: <laughs> to, to make an impact,
1: right? And like our ability to make an impact might be just upended at any moment. And, and there's a sense of wanting, wanting, not to wait and you know and it, how what is it having an impact mean and for a writer it's it's having someone read your book and be be moved in whatever way you wanted to move them maybe you wanted to scare them maybe you wanted to uh, make them think about an alternative universe or an alternative way of being in a sci-fi or fantasy maybe you wanted to make them laugh you know I'm I'm coaching some middle grade writers right now who have missions for young readers. You know, you want, there are things a writer wants to to impact in their reader. And it's exactly the same with um, running a business and, and starting a published company. And um, I think looking for the ways where they intersect is, is really powerful.
0: Mm. If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. How do you take that
2: step from you're a writer and then you're now putting yourself in charge, or not in charge, but directly um, adjacent to other people as they take on that writing journey? Because that's one thing that, particularly in my head, is probably the biggest obstacle, is going from, okay, I'm writing to, okay, I'm now going to take someone's hand and actually guide them. Because you're stepping into those shoes, you're, you're then the expert. You're the person that people look up to. You have although you're not, you shouldn't be responsible and accountable for their journey, you still do have some sense of responsibility. So how do you, how do you go into that, that journey?
1: I think it's an excellent question. And and obviously it's a question somebody would only ask if they're a person of integrity, because there's a lot of people <laughs> that are starting businesses and I would never name names, but, um, making a lot of money just sort of offering things to writers that don't actually help. So, you know, the idea that you're even asking the question of wanting, wanting to not, um, promise something you can't deliver or feeling the responsibility of it. And, and then, I mean, I have, I have two pronged answers. So prong one would be, (laughs) um, to really think about the processes and systems. And this is the thing that I have learned that, that, um, Just has changed everything for me, which is that you can break everything down into a process. And and by everything, you know, you are the author of a lot of books. You've collaborated with people on a lot of books. You've started ventures. You've started podcasts. You've started, you know, you've got so many things that you have started. So it's really breaking down that how do you start a creative endeavor? What are the questions that are important to ask? What are the steps that are important to go through? And what what's incredible is how few people have done this about the creative process and, and how, that's why there's so much, I think overwhelm and frustration and confusion among writers is, and that, that myth of you just do it. That's what you do. You just do it. And you know, when people ask writers, like, where do you get your ideas? it's such <laughs> a bizarre question, you know, like that's not the question. The question is, How do you choose an idea and Mm. how do you commit to an idea and how do you see that idea through? And, you know, so so it's processes and and the experience I've had in breaking creative processes down has has just been mind boggling. It's just mind
0: boggling. <laughs>
1: and, and it, um, how many there are, how many, how much it's needed. And, and then I have also applied that to the business processes as well. And I had some very smart and excellent business coaches that I hired to help me, to help me around this. Cause my processes sucked, to be honest. And, um, you know, there's sales processes, there's messaging processes, there's, you know, all, there's so many, and you can spend a lot of money hiring people at every point. But for someone like you, you, you know, a lot it's, it's tapping into your own knowing. And so that you have a replicable process. So that's thing one, because the last thing you want is for every writer that you help to start from scratch and explain Explain what you're going to do and explain how it's going to go and explain what the um, outcome might be and explain how they should start. And, you know, you, you want to develop a framework to bring them through. So that's, that's thing one. And, and then you rely on the framework. And what I love about this is that Um, so in my business, I have a team of five employees and we have processes for everything, which we had to do because it was total chaos. And that's, we, (laughs) we, we hired someone to come in and help us. And, and I, I came to understand that the reason businesses don't like, we're trying to break through a million dollar revenue. And the reason businesses don't do that is because of their processes, really, that's all it is. And, decisions and processes. So we have processes for everything. And when something isn't going well, or when something breaks, or when, when something screws up, we don't have to point fingers at anybody. We just have to say, where did the process break? How can we make a better process? And so it's just fabulous. So that's thing one. And thing two is, and I teach this to my coaches all the time. It's, it's not your job, to, to guarantee success or to be responsible for that writer's outcome. It's your job to ask the right questions. So, you know, so people always say to me, Don't you get nervous giving your opinion about whether or not a book is viable? So my particular expertise as a book coach is nonfiction book proposals. And those are documents that you write to pitch to agents. And the only successful outcome is getting an agent and a book. It's kind of a high risk book coaching because there's no, you know, like you finished, that's an accomplishment. (laughs) It's like, this is what we're doing as we're trying to sell a book. And, and so people always say, how do you know if it's a commercially viable or not? And and the answer is, I don't know. How do I possibly know? I don't have a crystal <laughs> ball. But what I know is that I have a process to take them through that, that is that is proven to work. And I know I can ask the right questions. So I can ask the right questions about structure. I can ask the right questions about comp titles. What universe is this book going to be born into? I can ask the right questions about this author's goals are they what is their desire are they trying to make money are they trying to become a thought leader are they trying to um leave a legacy are they you know like what exactly is their goal so that we can bake that into what we 're doing so by asking the right questions, you are able to guide someone and not feel like it 's just all on you so it I, that is also a process and i I just did a podcast yesterday, actually, with um, Jen Loudon, who is uh, an author and a teacher. Um, she just had a book come out called Why Bother that I helped her with. I and love that title. I know. Why bother with anything? And, <laughs> and the story that she and I share is that she came to me, and I'm free to talk about this because she talks about it all the time. She came to me with a 500-page memoir that um, she wanted help polishing up and so she brings this memoir to me and the feedback that I gave her is you should throw this out and um so so she asked me on this podcast yesterday how did you know to say that to me like that's pretty ballsy and and that was pretty brave and how do you do that and how do you do that without crushing someone and it kind of is this question you just asked right how can you be responsible for somebody else's thing And so I walked her through the process that I used to come to that conclusion. And it was largely the signals that I was getting from her that she was not happy with this book. She would not have come to me if she was happy with this book. She Mm. knew there was a problem. She was frustrated. She was overwhelmed. A 500-page memoir might as well have a giant neon sign flashing above it that says, I don't know what this is about, like, <laughs> right? It's like your entire life and mm-hmm. nobody cares. That's not the way books are sold or, or it, you know, it's, there were so many signals that said to me that she, this was not the book to write. And so when I started reviewing the pages, I had all of that information with me while i was reading them and developing this opinion that this book was just all over the place and she hadn't done the work of setting her intention or or thinking about the reader and there were parts of it because it was memoir that were like in memoir there's a fine line between being transparent and sharing and and like oversharing or like sharing your diary pages or your therapy sort of pages and there was a lot of that and and i knew this is a woman who has had three New York times bestsellers. Like she doesn't want that book out there, you know? So knowing that, knowing all this, I, you know, the feedback I took to her was, I'm not so sure this is a book you want to write now, right now. And I'm not so sure that this book is, is actually salvageable. And um, I mean, she was crushed. I'm not going to pretend that's easy to hear. And no. I, she could have said, well, screw you. I just paid you all this money. And this is what you tell me. And, and so what I'm telling you is that it's not so much like, um, oh, Daniel, you better get really smart and you better know how to got, you know, get those writers to where they go. It's more, you've got, you set up a process to ask the right questions and to hear what the person needs and wants and, and to bring in your knowledge of what the market, how the market functions and to ask those, those writers, the correct questions and, that's going to come, like in a publishing process, that's going to come in who you publish. How do you choose? How You know, what is your metric? What is your metric for success once you do publish them? You know, how's the money going to flow into all that? And, you know, having a system by which you can deliver whatever news to the writer that that is going to bring out the best of them and bring out, like, attract the people who are going to want what you're selling, right? Mm. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. Did I answer that question or did I just go in circle? No,
2: no, I think so. I think, yeah, there's a lot about just trusting yourself is a big part of that and, and taking that experience. And obviously within that arena, like that, that client you were speaking about, that wouldn't I'm 100% sure that that wasn't your first client. You had all this experience in the past. Like you say, you built the processes to actually know by that point what was going on um i imagine that would have been a completely different conversation had that been your first or second author that you worked with
1: yes yes and i and i think well the thing i've learned in my years of doing this is that nobody few people are asking the big questions of of writers or of a piece of work they're asking the little questions like going line by line or they're going chapter by chapter they're not stepping back and looking at the whole sweep of it and those are the kinds of questions that tend to elicit the 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 big answers but writers are very much You know, like when people go to the doctor and they know what's wrong, like, you know, you may, you might not be able to name it, but you know, what's wrong, or, you know, that something is wrong and a good doctor is going to ask the right questions to come up with the right diagnosis. They're not just looking at you and waving a wand and saying, this is what's wrong with you. They're, they're reading your, your physical self. And when you're working with other writers as a book coach or an editor or a publisher, whatever it is, you're um, you have this evidence in the pages they've written, but you also have them as a creator and a person. And you know what are they trying to do here, and what are what is their intention? And um, you know if you you somebody comes to you, remember that book a while ago? It was a mashup of. Jane Austen, zombie. John yes. Uh,
2: Bride, Pregnancy the and Zombies.
1: Right. Like yeah. somebody comes to you with that book, your first thought is going to be like, that's wackadoodle. Like, <laughs> like, what are you talking like? Where's that going to fit in the marketplace? Like as a person working with that writer, that was, that would be what you were thinking. Like, nobody's ever done that there's no marker for that there's no place in the bookstore for that there's no place in the library for that nobody's asking for that like who's gonna you know like you'd go through those questions and then you'd have the person and you'd say well what was what were you thinking with this and (laughs) and they would be like isn't it great Jane Austen is like isn't it hilarious don't you think everybody like all the zombie lovers and all the Jane Austen are gonna eat this up and you'd be like yeah, I get I get that, right? And let's see then how did you execute it? Like is it executed well or is it just like oh it was a great idea but it's not on the page and mm. you know you you catch a you catch a sense of their vision. That's that's often what I do and and the thing that my clients say to me most of all and what's really fun is all my book coaches are starting to get this with their own clients. Is like, are you in my head? Are you?
0: How are you? How
1: are you in my head? Like, how did you even know? And I sometimes feel bad because it's it's so easy in a way. <laughs> they think I'm doing this super magical thing, and it's it's actually pretty easy if you give them time and attention. Like, if I pay actual attention to what they're saying and what they're writing, it's actually pretty easy to identify what's working. To identify if they're if, if their vision is there. And, you know, a lot of times what happens is people come to me and, and they have this vision, but it's not on the page. Like they can articulate it beautifully in their voice, but it's not on the page. It's just falling apart. And you you can tell because they, they share their vision with you. And then you look at it and you're like, that's not what this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, oftentimes, a conversation is not the one like I just described, where I'm saying this isn't working, you have to throw it out. It's more like, oh, well, I'll give you an example. Examples are already be- always better. I was working <laughs> with um, a woman who was actually uh, sent to me by an agent, and she has this unbelievable, <laughs> massively big following on the internet. And so, you can sell anything if that's what you have. And, and this book that she had, this book proposal that she had was flat and lifeless and, um, sort of reductive. And it was, it's just like, we've seen it before. And it was, it was like, why, why are you doing this? And so, um, instead of saying, this is terrible, you know, you should throw this out. It, you know, what you do is you say, why this book? Why now? What's your thought process behind this? So this is the Simon Sinek thing. Like why, Mm. why, what's your why for this book? And in talking to this woman in the first, honestly, seven minutes, I, I've realized she is a Latina, um, CEO, she built this massively huge business from nothing. She doesn't have an MBA. She got huge VC funding when a lot of women don't. She had sold her first business to Disney. Like, the, she had this unbelievable entrepreneurial success story that was barely in the pages of this business book. Mm. And, and so then I was just like, why aren't you writing your own story? Like, why are you deflecting it off? She was writing about other people. And and, she's, and then the answer is, she's scared. And so then the whole work that I'm doing with her is, why are you scared? And then what we're talking about is what you're saying, like raising your voice and claiming your authority and putting a stick in the ground and taking up space in the world and all the things. And and you know, I'm like, look at all the things you've done. You've already been doing that your whole life. Like a book is just easy compared to that. And that's the conversation that then led to her creating this what I think, I don't know yet. She hasn't gone back to the <laughs> agent, but um, what I think is going to be just like a powerhouse, a beautiful thing that, I, you know, and this is the last thing I'll say, Dan cause I'm going on and on about this, but no, when I was, when I was on <laughs> zoom with this, with this client, this is how I knew. So you were saying, how do you carry the responsibility of saying this book is flat and boring and dumb? Like before I said that, what I, when we're having this conversation, I saw her body language. And she got all excited and she got all animated. And she, when I was first talking to her, I couldn't connect the, the woman whose credentials were so amazing with the woman I was talking to because she she seemed shy. She seemed not very articulate. I, I was like, I don't, I don't get, I don't get that that's you. Right. And then when we started talking about her story and I started asking about her, um, what would you feel about writing this or to take it in this? You know, she was just all of a sudden she's like a different person. She's, she's rattling off, you know, <laughs> um, like I could barely keep up with what she was saying. And it was like, Oh, that's where all the juice is. you mm. just, you know, again, it was just a matter of being afraid to, to go there. So, That's the work of a book coach is like an editor can't do that because an editor is mostly working with what's on the page. And because I'm in it with her and I'm, and I'm in the process with her, I'm pulling it out of her. So just back to your question, it's not about carrying the responsibility. It's about, it's just like the personal trainer. Like I can give you the framework and the time and the attention to bring your vision to life and to bring your best vision to life but you have to do it. If you can't mm. do it, that's on that's on you, you know? And yeah. I think the same you would encounter the same thing and you know, publishing books like some are going to bomb, some are going to do really well, some are going to surprise you, you know? Mm. And that's not really your responsibility in a weird way. Your responsibility is to um, give them the road to drive on and, and, you know, set the parameters for what you think should be in the world. And I think it sounds like fun.
2: (laughs) It it, it sounds amazing. And I guess the, uh, I'm amazed at how quickly this conversation is going as well, because we're we're running short on time, which is frustrating. Um, but one, one part that I do want to hit as well, and it's uh, a topic that I know that you're very keen on is obviously the topic of money. Um, so obviously you stepped into those shoes, you've decided, okay, I'm going to call myself an expert. I'm going to take on, whatever it is you're going you're gonna to put out into the world. How, how do you come to terms with the, the money that you charge? Because I know that this isn't specific to you, but I know that you obviously do charge a fair amount for the services that you provide and they're, they're well worth the, the money people pay. One, so how I currently see it is, I most of my work comes in selling fiction. Obviously, it's very, very easy for me to say to a thousand people, spend one pound on my book or spend two pound on my book, <laughs> or like to give me that, that, that in profit share it's very, very different for me to say, okay, one person give me a thousand pounds for a particular thing. How, how do you come full circle on that mindset and and value yourself in that way? Because I know there's an element of, you know, people will pay it, but it's, for me, it's reconciling with that being okay with that in myself, if that makes sense. Oh,
1: I mean, we could talk about this for days, honestly, (laughs) we could talk about it for days. And, and I think it's really important to talk about it because part of what, a problem with that myth. We were talking about that lightning strike from, from the heavens myth of creation. I think what that myth does is devalues the work of the writer and devalues how hard they work. And it makes me really insane to think that anyone is doing the work of writing a book and getting, I don't even know what a pound is, but I I think (laughs) it's close to as close to a dollar right now, um, somewhere a little above, I think, but um, like, a dollar or two for, for the, like, how much time are they spending with that book? Probably 20 hours. You know, when you think about what you pay to go to the movies, well, when we used to be able to go to the movies. Um, <laughs> in the but, like, days. <laughs> or what you pay for the things that you truly value in the world. Like, why are we not paying our creators? And, and that, I think that's part of the reason why self-publishing has risen up so much is because publishers traditionally don't pay writers that well. You get like 15% of the sale price, and then you give that 15% of that to your agent. Like you're not actually coming away with much of the percentage price of the sale of the book. And a lot of writers went to self-publishing because they can control the, the means that they get from the book. So in general, as an industry, we, we do not pay our writers what they're worth. And I think that's true of all creators of musicians and photographers. There's, you know, there's illustrators, like all of it. And, and it's, it's terrible. And um, so I think part of it is realizing that that's where that's coming from in a way like, well, I'm not worthwhile because people pay me a dollar for, for my work or, you know, they want it for free or, you know, people say, oh, you can um, write for our online magazine and we'll pay you in exposure. And, you know, just all these terrible practices that devalue what writers do. And, you know, as well as anyone, how hard a writer works and how much they bring and how much, um, like a, a novel is an incredibly complex intellectual multi-layered undertaking to the, the number of things that you have to do to write a good novel are there's a book that I love called the checklist manifesto by Atul Gawande um and it um he's the author of uh is it being mortal being mortal? I think his latest book, but um, he's a surgeon and the checklist manifesto is how you make a surgery at operating room better, which is you have a checklist and, and everybody yes. goes through the checklist. And he talks about this for flying airplanes and building skyscrapers. It's a fascinating little book. And when I read it, I was like, if you, had to put a checklist down for all the things that a writer has to do to write a novel, it would be equivalent to what they're doing to fly a jumbo jet. Like it's, there is a lot and it's one person is doing that their own self and we're not paying them. And so that's where all this comes from. And as, as a book coach, I mean, I have come into this as, as a person, my own self, this meaning ask for what you work worth and, and make the big money. And so it's a, I'm still in the fight of learning how to do it and, and learning that it's okay and teaching others to do it. And just this morning, I received two separate notes from two of my book coaches who one of them is about to have her first hundred thousand dollar year this year. wow And, and another of them, um, just had a little victory, but she wanted to share it with me where she was on the verge of lowering her price. She was talking to a potential client who was kind of hemming and hawing about her price because I'm adamant about asking a lot. And this client was wavering and um, she wanted to say like, I'll give you a discount or I'll, you know, you can do that or I'll, you know, cut the rate in some way and she didn't do it. She just bit her tongue and then the person signed the contract and, and became a long-term client at the, at the higher range. She was mm-hmm. just thanking me for, she said, "You." Um, what she actually said was you're like the little devil on my shoulder, <laughs> like a little Jenny on my shoulder saying, don't devalue You know what you're asking mm-hmm. for. So I've become the, a bit of an evangelist for this. And you, know, you asked me, how do you do it? Well, I'm going to give you another example because I think it illustrates it the very best. So what you have to think about is what your actual value is. And if you're thinking of yourself as a functionary, so like I'm a person who edits pages and I make them correct and clean, that's, that's like a functional service that a lot of people can do. And there's a certain level that the market bears for that fee for that editor. And if you go to one of the freelance writing sites, like, um, I don't hate naming the names, but where people, it's a race for the bottom on how little you can pay, um, for freelance work, like don't ever go on those ever because how horrible for the, the providers doing that Mm. work. But, um, so the difference between that and, and what I teach, I'm going to give you an illustration. So somebody comes to me and they want help with a query letter. And a query letter is the letter that you write to pitch to a traditional publisher. It's 250 words max. It's a tiny little thing. There's a whole ton of people that charge $50 to edit a query letter because it's this long, like how much time does it take? Right? So they put, they put a $50, um, you know, hour long limit on it and they edit that up and they make sure that it's clean and polished. And that's the service that they're, the transaction that they're providing. Well, um, I, I don't actually offer this service, but I, but I used to, it's now part of a bigger package, but I would charge $3,500 for the exact same thing. And you're thinking, well, how on earth could you do that? What are you so, <laughs> what are you bring to that query letter editing? That's so great. Well, what I'm bringing is that what I, what I am doing is I'm thinking, what does this writer really need? Where Where is their pain? And what they really need is not an edited query letter. What they need is, confidence in the pitch process, an understanding of how it works, uh, belief that they have the right agent list put together and that those agents are the correct and appropriate agents for what they're pitching. Um, they need to know that their story is in excellent shape. So that when they send sample chapters or they get requests for sample pages, that those pages are going to uphold you know what their story is they need an understanding of the whole process they need to know that they actually want to pitch to an agent and a publisher and that they don't want to consider the other options they need you know mindset shift because they're going from the place of being a creator to being a person with a product selling it so they're crossing this huge line and so the value that i can bring to them is way more than just let me edit your query letter and And I would never take $50 to edit a query letter because if they don't have all the other stuff, it's probably not going to go well. Mm. And people come with rejections all the time, used to do this rejection audit. And, and it's, you know, like, why am I getting rejected? And it's because of all those other things. It's not, I mean, probably their query letter has problems too, but so, so I charge a lot because I'm providing a value that is much bigger than what the industry typically says a writer needs. And so I'm really thinking about what, what a writer needs. And so in the work I'm doing on book proposals, for example, it's extremely expensive service that I offer and people, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, cause it's real, even in the middle of the pandemic they're lining up to work with me at these very high prices and it's, mm. It's because of the value I bring. It's it's not just, oh, like you can go find out on the internet. There's 5 million places to find out what a book proposal should look like and what the elements are and what goes in it. You can take an hour long class from some exceptionally smart people. You can buy books, like you can do all that. But to have somebody walk you through all of those elements and how they fit together and how they fit together for your idea and all the things I just told you about querying and all that goes that into it, that that's my, my packages are in the $24,000 range. So, um, that's the difference is I'm giving them everything and all the layers and looking at the whole writer and bringing them through the whole process and, um, I my writers do extremely well. I have an extremely high success rate, and I I, I mean, I often say I don't think it's that I'm so great. I think I'm good at what I do, but I think it's because those people have made a massively big commitment to themselves, and they mm. are willing to do the work because they have put they have skin in the game, and they've asked for the help that they need to get there. So there, the the um, the elements for success are built into the fact that they're even working with me, if that makes sense. Mm. So yeah. that's, that's how I make money is I provide bigger value than just the functional aspect of it. And that's what I'm teaching my book coaches to do. And I'm teaching them to ask for the that, that value um, as part of it. And I think, you know, the pushback I always get is, well, writers make no money. That's what we were talking about before. So <laughs> how how could they afford it? Well, they can afford it because everything else they've done isn't working. And, you know, they've tried all the other things. Like if you've tried all the other things and it's working for you, you don't need me. You don't need anybody. Like do it. You're good. If it's But if you've tried it and it's not working, they're feeling a desperation and a, and a pain and they will pay. They will absolutely pay. And to equate um the education of writers with what writers actually make is sort of not the right metric. Mm. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something to be said, uh, one of the points you picked up there of people actually putting that financial um what's the word stake into it. Um because we, we say it all the time when it comes to writing as indies in that if you constantly offer all your books for free, what you're gonna get is a lot of readers, a lot of people on your mailing list who expect free things. Whereas, if you can actually curate and bring in readers who are willing to pay you 're training people to expect to actually pay for the products you have, and there 's such a, a disconnect with a lot of people 's mentality in in how they see money and I know that like I'm, I'm definitely not perfect. I'm still like working on because I know that I've charged for particular services to help people. I've run sort of short um, courses on how to write short stories and whatnot. Um, but they've definitely been down at the cheap end, and I'm looking now at how how to incorporate that potentially into my business. Um, but yeah, it's it's a whole it's a whole hazardous game, and I don't think it comes back to writing as well. But it's just one of those things that they don't teach you at school.
1: <laughs> no, and and if you know, I just think really the solution is to think to step back and think like a business person, yeah. like an entrepreneur, you know, an entrepreneur would ask, what is the market need? Where's the hole in the market? What is not being provided? And in the writing world, what I see that is not being provided is this holistic, really big picture help where somebody says, I will be in this with you all the way through, and I will help you make good decisions and make a good plan and see this project way all the way through. And that, of course, you're going to have to pay for that because it's somebody's time and expertise, you know, like this very expensive package I just mentioned to you. When I'm working with someone in that $24,000 package, like they can text me at 11 o'clock at night. They're sending me stuff back (laughs) and forth on Saturday morning. You know, they're like, I'm all in with it, with them. And that is what they expect. And that is what I offer. And if they have 9 million questions, when you know, they start pitching agents, I'm answering their 9 million questions patiently and with good cheer, I would hope. But um, it's it's really thinking about what what do the writers really need? And too many writers programs are not doing this because what writers don't need to go in and learn how to write dialogue or learn how to write a scene or learn how to write better descriptions. That That's like, it's akin to to saying, I'm going to teach you how to um, install a kitchen faucet and you're going to learn how to do that. And now I think you can build a house, Mm. you know, like it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that people are not talking about the whole thing that it takes and teaching the whole thing. And, and that's, that's what people really want is the transformation experience. That's, that's the kind of entrepreneurial buzzword. What's the transformational experience you're offering to that writer and if you can give them a transformational experience, they're gonna pay for it. And Mm. this goes back to something we said earlier, the thing about integrity. You can't you can't promise that and charge the big bucks and not deliver it. And and the transformation is not like to your earlier question about like the burden of you will get good and you will sell your book and you'll make a lot of money. It's, it's just, I can teach you what you don't know. I can take you through all the steps so that you don't have to figure out your own self. I can help you do your best work, but I can't guarantee anything. Um, So it's kind of walking that fine line. Mm.
2: We are unfortunately coming very, very close to time. I do have uh, one main question before we get into a quick fire round. And it's a question that I ask all my guests. And usually that question is, uh, why do you write? But I'd like to twist it, if, uh, if, <laughs> if if you may allow me, to why do you, Jenny Nash, coach?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, hardest question of all. Um, <laughs> Hi, coach because I believe that writers can save the world. I really do. I believe that stories are the bridge between cultures and people and ideologies. And they are the most powerful, noble creation that humans can do. And I want to help people who are called to that do their best job and lift their voices up and change their own world in in the best way that they know how I just, I find it completely thrilling.
2: Beautiful. Oh, I love that. Okay. Into the quick fire round now. So I've got 10 questions. I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible. (laughs) It's all in good fun. Feel free to pass if if you need to, Uh, but are you ready? I'm ready. Beautiful. Seth Godin or Simon Tinnick?
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Seth Godin.
2: Cabin in the woods or a villa on the beachfront?
1: Cabin in the woods.
2: What's your go-to snack?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, blueberries.
2: Do you have any pets?
1: No pets.
2: Who was the last writer to make you laugh?
1: Um, I just watched Hamilton, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Ah, good just choice. laugh and cry all at the same time. Amazing.
2: Beautiful. Uh, one book you've recommended the most?
1: The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp because she shows that creativity can be contained.
2: Nice. Favorite kind of chocolate?
1: I can't eat chocolate I'm allergic to it. Oh
2: no. <laughs> it's tragic.
1: <laughs>
2: do you have a hidden talent?
1: Do I have a hidden talent? Um no. The older I get the more I realize that I really am only good at a narrower <laughs> a narrower realm of things. So I I I can't say that I do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite season?
1: Oh, um I love fall.
2: Do you have a favorite animal?
1: Hummingbird.
2: Beautiful. That's 10 questions. One bonus question. Where can my listeners find out everything about yourself and all that you're working on?
1: They can come to bookcoaches.com backslash ABC, which stands for about book coaching. So it's bookcoaches.com backslash ABC. And you can learn all about book coaching. And there's a series of videos that walks you through what it is, who might be good at it, if you can make money, all the questions to uh, help you decide if book coaching is a thing you want to be or become. And I would also suggest if anybody listening is interested in using a book coach to go to authoraccelerator.com and we have a free matching service where we will match you with one of our certified book coaches and whatever you need help with, we can try to help you.
2: Beautiful. Well, Jenny Nash, thank you so much for donating your time. It's been a genuine pleasure having a chance to catch up.
1: So fun. Thank
2: you. No worries. And thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this
1: week's episode of the Great Writers Share
2: podcast. Next week, I'll be turning the tables on our wonderful co-host, Faye Trask. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writers Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash Great and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Great Until next time.
0: cast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey y'all, this is Kenya, creative director and co-founder of Domino Sound. And this is
1: Alexandra De Palma, executive producer and co-founder of Domino Sound. And we're a queer, disabled, black woman-owned podcast production company and network, creating authentic, inclusive, provocative content. We just launched Domino Presents, which is a new series of special audio projects. The premiere episode features the founders of Poppy Juice, the queer art collective throwing the hottest parties in New York City and around the world. We also recommend The Cheat Code, our hit 10-episode audio soap opera surrounding a love affair. Think Love & Hip Hop meets The Affair meets The Sopranos. Follow us on IG at Co to keep up. And listen to our shows on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Just search Domino Sound. A recommends.